Well, Shabbat Shalom, brothers and sisters. Glad to see everyone back for another edition of God Honest Truth live stream. And tonight, <clears throat> if someone wants to ask you who it is that you worship, who is the almighty creator of heaven and earth, would you be able to tell them? Would you be able to tell them his name? Is his name even important? And if it is, what is it? That's what we're going to be learning about tonight, all about the sacred name of our almighty creator. So definitely stay tuned for that. But like always, we're going to be doing the liturgy, the Torah portion, the Hav Torah portion, and the Brit Hadashah portion. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for that as well. Now, if you're just joining us for the first time, we'd like to say Shalom and welcome. We are God Honest Truth, and we are a Messianic ministry based out of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about us at GodHonestTruth.com. There you can find all sorts of resources to help you, from video teachings to article teachings to resources to help you learning Hebrew, audio Bibles, all kinds of good stuff. So make sure to go check us out at GodHonestTruth.com. And if you need to contact us, you can do so through one of our many social media profiles, or the best way to do it is directly through email at team at GodHonestTruth.com. Now, with all that being said, let's go ahead and dive right into our liturgy. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is for eternity. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And have these words, which I command you this day, be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and let them be frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and upon your gates. 
Alright, so in the way of announcements this week, pretty much just the standard announcements. Of course, we're going to give you the upcoming Drosh episodes for about the next two months or so. And like we said, tonight, tonight's Drosh is all going to be about the sacred name. We're going to get into a lot, a lot, a lot of information on this. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for that. And if you happen to miss anything, check back for the post being made available starting tomorrow morning about eight or nine o'clock, somewhere around there. Next week, we're going to be having another scriptural dossier to continue in our dossier series. And next week's going to be all about the judge, Deborah. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for that. And as always, make sure to tune in every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for each of these upcoming drashes and all the information that comes along with them. Like always, we're going to give you the list of feast days or Moedim for the next upcoming year or so, all the way up through Sukkot of next year. And of course, the next upcoming feast day for this year, excuse me, is of course going to be Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah is not one of the scripturally prescribed feast days or Moedim, but a lot of people are like my family and we still celebrate it. So that's why we're putting it on this list. And of course, Hanukkah this year starts at sunset December 18th and runs through, I'm sorry, sunset of December 26th. And as always, we'll be having a drosh on the feast day, which will be Hanukkah, about two weeks prior to the event. So make sure to tune in for that drosh so you can learn all about Hanukkah, what it is, the history behind it, the symbolism, all that good stuff, how it connects to your life. So definitely make sure to tune in for that at Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And as always, if you have any prayer requests or announcements that you would like to have announced live on air, be sure to have those in to us by Thursday evening at the latest, because we do go live every Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So with all that being stated, let's go ahead and get back to our liturgy. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. He walked among us, filled with your Spirit. The only one who ever perfectly fulfilled your Torah. He healed the sick and raised the dead. The multitudes of our people sought his touch. He taught as no man taught. With authority he brought forth the treasures of the Torah. How the children sought him, the lepers he touched and made clean. How the despised and outcast found love and release from their sin. How the hypocrites feared him, whose words uncovered their sin. Despised and rejected, acquainted with grief, he bore the sins of Israel. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, turned every one to his own way. Our iniquities were laid upon the king, the sins of the world, his burden to bear. He rose from the dead and opened the way to life everlasting. Praise his name. We are in him. His spirit empowers. New life is ours with joy and peace. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, who has given us Messiah our King. For the sake of our Master Yeshua, in his merit and virtues, may the sayings of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be favorable before you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. Amen.
Avinu Shabashamayim Yikadesh Shimcha Tavo Mahutecha Yasa Ratzonecha Baaretz Kaasher Baash I'm sorry Naasa Bashamayim Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done, as on earth so as in heaven. Ten Lanu Hayom Nachem Hukenu Musalach Lanu Erashmatenu Ka Asher Sulahim Anachnu La Asher Ashmulanu Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Veal Tevienu Lide Masa Iim Hatsilenu Min Hara Kilaha Amamlaha Vahagavura Vahatifaret Leolame Olamim. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. None can compare to you, O Lord, and nothing compares to your creation. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your mercy endures throughout all generations. The Lord is king. The Lord was king. The Lord shall be king throughout all time. May the Lord grant his people mercy. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt him together. And it came to pass, whenever the ark went forth, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. May those who hate you flee from before you. For from Zion shall go forth the Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Blessed be he who in holiness gave the Torah to his people Israel. Alright, and tonight's Torah portion is going to be Exodus chapter 15 verse 19 through chapter 16 verse 24. And like always, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home, just in case you'd like to read along with us as we go through the Torah portion. Exodus chapter 15, verse 19. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea upon them, and the children of Israel went on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. And Moshe brought Israel from the sea of reeds, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And they came to Marah, and they were unable to drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. So the name of it was called Marah. And the people grumbled against Moshe, saying, What are we to drink? Then he cried out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a tree. 
And when he threw it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a law and a right ruling for them, and there he tried them. And he said, If you diligently obey the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, and do what is right in his eyes, and shall listen to his commands, and shall guard all his laws, I shall bring on you none of the diseases I brought on the Mitzrites, for I am Yahweh who heals you. And they came to Elim, where there were twelve fountains of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the trees. And they set out from Elim on the congregation, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second new moon, after their going out of the land of Mitzrayim. And all the congregation of the children of Israel grumbled against Moshe and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, If only we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Mitzrayim, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to satisfaction. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to put all this assembly to death with hunger. And Yahweh said to Moshe, See, I am raining bread from the heavens for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day in order to try them, whether they walk in my Torah or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moshe and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim, and in the morning you shall see the esteem of Yahweh, for he hears your grumblings <clears throat> against Yahweh. And what are we that you grumble against us? And Moshe said, In that Yahweh gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to satisfaction. For Yahweh hears your grumblings which you make against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against Yahweh. And Moshe said to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your grumblings. And it came to be, as Aaron spoke to all, the to all the congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and see, the esteem of Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, Between the evenings you are to eat meat, and in the morning you are to be satisfied with bread. And you shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim. And it came to be that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And the layer of dew went up, and see, on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And the children of Israel saw, and they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moshe said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is the word which Yahweh has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, an omer for each being, according to the number of beings. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered, some more, some less. And they measured it by omers, and he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who, he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered according to his need. And Moshe said, Let no one leave any of it until morning. And they did not listen to Moshe, so some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. 
And Moshe was wroth with them, and they gathered it every morning, each one according to his need. And when the need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And it came to be on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moshe, and he said to them, This is what Yahweh has said. Tomorrow is a rest, a Sabbath, set apart to Yahweh. That which you bake, bake, and that which you cook, cook. And lay up for yourselves all that is left over to keep it until morning. And they laid it up till morning as Moshe commanded, and it did not stink, and no worm was in it. Barukata Yahweh Elohenu Melak Haolam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Bechaye Olam Betukenu Barukata Yahweh Noten Ha Torah Amen. This is the Torah which Moses placed before the children of Israel. It is in accord with the Lord's command by the hand of Moses. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen faithful prophets to speak words of truth. Amen. And tonight's Hav Torah portion is going to be Isaiah chapter 45, verses 20 through 25. And like usual, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 20. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. No knowledge have they who are lifting up the wood of their carved image and pray to a mighty one that does not save. Declare and bring near. Let them even take counsel together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has declared it from that time? Is it not I, Yahweh? And there is no mighty one besides me, a righteous El, and a Savior, there is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. 
For I am El, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, a word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, so that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. One shall say, Only in Yahweh do I have righteousness and strength, he comes to him. And all those displeased with him shall be put to shame. In Yahweh all the seed of Yisrael shall be declared right and boast. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the living word in Messiah Yeshua. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. And tonight's Hadashah portion is going to be John chapter 6, verses 31 through 51. And one more time, we'll give you just a moment to find that in your preferred translation at home. John chapter 6, verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it has been written. He gave them bread out of the heaven to eat. Therefore Yeshua said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moshe did not give you the bread out of the heaven, but my father gives you the true bread out of the heaven. For the bread of Elohim is he who comes down out of the heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Master, give us this bread always. And Yeshua said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not get hungry at all, and he who believes in me shall not get thirsty at all. But I said to you that you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I shall by no means cast out. Because I have come down out of the heaven, not to do my own desire, but the desire of him who sent me. This is the, the desire of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should not lose of it, but should raise it in the last day. And this is the, it, this is the desire of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should possess everlasting life, and I shall raise him up in the last day. Therefore the Hudim were grumbling against him, because he said, I am the bread which came down out of the heaven. And they said, Is not this Yeshua the son of Yosef, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down out of the heaven? Thus Yeshua answered and said to them, Do not grumble with one another. No one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I shall raise him up in the last day. It has been written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by Yahweh. Everyone then who has heard from the Father and learned comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from Elohim. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me possesses everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of the heaven, so that anyone might eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread which came down out of the heaven. If any one eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And indeed, the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Orukata Yahweh, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu HaDavar HaEmet, Bechaye Olam Betukenu, Orukata Yahweh, Notain HaBrit HaDashah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who gave to us the word of truth and planted life everlasting in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the renewed covenant. Amen. So, like usual, we're going to take just a short break <clears throat> to check on our streams, make sure everything's going good like it should be. And if you're just learning for the first time, we do stream to multiple platforms all at once every Friday night. And that is YouTube, Twitch, and Odyssey now. So if one of them is not working for you, or if you don't like one, you can go watch a different one that might work out better for you. This is also good in case something happens on our end as well for streaming to multiple platforms. At least hopefully one will be getting through. Now, in just a minute, we'll be getting to our drosh. And like we said, it's going to be all about the sacred name. So if you would go down below and tell us what it is that you know about the sacred name. What's the most... <clears throat> important thing that comes to your mind right now it could be a verse it could be a piece of history whatever it is just let us know down below and while you're down there make sure to hit that like button and hit the subscribe button and be sure to ring that bell so that you'll be notified every single time that we go live or when we upload a new on-demand video and before you leave down there make sure you hit that share button and share it around with your friends family colleagues co-workers whoever it is Odds are you know someone who would enjoy this type of content, so make sure to go ahead and share it around with them so that they will enjoy it as much as you do. And every time you share the word about God Honest Truth Ministries, we really, really do appreciate it. That is the best thing or one of the best things that you could do for us. Of course, praying for us is always appreciated. But sharing us around, telling people about God and His Truth, we really, really do appreciate that very much. So tonight's drosh, like I said, is going to be all about the sacred name. And we're we'll going to get into a lot of different things tonight. We've got close to 100 slides to get through tonight. So that means it's going to be rather lengthy. Uh, it's not going to be a Baptist sermon. Not going to be under 30 minutes. I can guarantee you that. This is going to be it's going to be long, but it's going to be jam-packed and really good. We've took a lot of the information that we've presented in the past and we've added to it. We've made it so much better. And even with all this information, and as long as it's going to be, it's still not going to be everything that's out there and everything that we could tell you. Still had to keep it within the scope of the teaching. So definitely we invite you to go out and do your own research, do your own studying and find out more information about this on your own. But we're going to be giving you lots and lots of information here tonight. So stay tuned. 
hold on tight, buckle up, and make sure you have your notebook ready because there's going to be a lot there. Now, with that being said, and it's going to be long and there's going to be a lot of information, this will be available for on-demand viewing starting sometime tomorrow morning. So if you happen to miss something or if you happen to not catch something in your notes, you can always go check that out starting tomorrow morning. The best place to do that is going to be on our website, GodHonestTruth.com. Just click on the post for the Sacred Name episode. And that will not only bring up the video that of the live stream we're doing now, but it's also going to bring up the slides that we're presenting tonight. We have started doing a new thing also. If you go to GodHonestTruth.com right now, you can already find that post and this current live stream. So as we go through live right now, you yourself can join along with us in the slides. So go check that out at GodHonestTruth.com. Follow along in the slides with us. And of course, if you always if you ever need to watch the on-demand portion, that will be available tomorrow as well. Also, in that post that's available already, there are links to other resources about the name for further study and research. So I invite you to check those out as well. And they're not only in the post on GodHonestTruth.com, but they are also in the description of this video down below. Whether you're watching on YouTube or Odyssey, you can go down below right now in the description and find all those links. And we will, of course, be mentioning some of those as we go through tonight's drosh. <clears throat> so some objectives that we're going to plan on accomplishing tonight, just to give you kind of a scope of what we'll be covering. First of all, what's in a name? Why is a name even important at all? You know, in general, what's a name and why is it important? We're going to be covering sacred versus holy because we did use the title sacred name and not holy name. But as you'll learn, they're fairly synonymous and both sacred and holy apply to our creator. We're going to find out what his name is. We're also going to be learning the difference between names and titles as well. Another distinction we're going to be learning about is the difference between translation and transliteration. That's going to be very important in tonight's subject. Then we're going to get into some common misunderstandings, uh, especially phrases like I am and God and sorts of things like that. We're also going to be just skimming the surface on the pronunciation subject. That's one of those that can really, really, really go way in depth. Okay. And I definitely invite you to do that study and research on your own, but that's not within the scope of tonight's drosh is go extremely in depth into the Hebrew and the history and the grammar in the Hebrew and et cetera, et cetera. So definitely don't have time to get into all that or else it could be an entire weekend summit. But we are going to be touching on the pronunciation part as well. Then we're going to get into, well, should we say the name at all? Some don't say the name. So where did that come from? Why do they do it? Should we? We'll get into that near the end also.
So now that you know the objectives and what we'll be covering, an overview of tonight's drosh, let's go ahead and get into it. So what's in a name? Well, what is a name? Anyways, let's phrase that a little bit differently. What is a name? Well, as the free dictionary defines it, a name is a word or words by which an entity is designated and distinguished from others. That's an important definition. It also, a name is also a representation or repute as opposed to reality, a reputation. And this really hits at the heart of name and biblical thought. So keep that in mind as well. Merriam-Webster says pretty much the same thing, that a name is a word or a phrase that constitutes the distinctive designation of a person or a thing. A word or symbol used in logic to designate an entity, reputation. Definitely keep that thing right, that definition right there in your mind. Reputation is very, very involved with the Hebrew thought of name. So when someone mentions to you someone else's name or the name of another person, what does that bring to mind? Does that bring to mind maybe their face, what they look like? Could it bring to mind, you know, their, their smile, maybe their eyes, the way they walk, the way they treat people? It could bring to mind all sorts of different things, but that one single identifying name brings to mind all those things about that one single individual person. That's what a name does for us. And it's not just with people, but it's also for various groups as well. For instance, if we said the word Christian, what would that bring to mind? Maybe Bible, Easter eggs, Christmas trees, stuff like that. Mm, excuse me. Well, what if we said the name or the word Jewish? What would that bring to mind? Maybe Passover? Maybe menorah, maybe yarmulke or kippah, things like that. All these things come to mind with just one word or one name. Again, what if we said the word Muslim? What would that bring to mind? Maybe someone like Osama bin Laden, maybe Iran, maybe the World Trade Center bombings. Again, one word, one name, even of a group can bring to mind all sorts of different things and designate all sorts of different things and what you're talking about in a conversation. Now, in contrast to name, what about title? What's a title? Well, Merriam-Webster defines title as a descriptive name appellation. An appellation of dignity, honor, distinction, or preeminence attached to a person or family by virtue of rank, office, precedent, privilege, attainment, or lands. A person holding a title, especially of nobility. Sort of getting it? Title. Defined by the Free Dictionary. A formal appellation attached to the name of a person as a sign of office, rank, profession, or hereditary privilege. A descriptive name and epithet a right or claim, or the basis of a right or claim.
So we're, we're talking about people, about beings. Title is something of a position, something that more than one people can have, right? Even a title goes on things as well. For instance, what if I said the word soda, right? There are many things that are titled as soda. So it doesn't bring to mind one specific thing. However, if I said the name Pepsi, maybe it brings to mind the logo, the drink Pepsi, the taste, the price maybe nowadays. I don't know. I don't drink Pepsi, but it brings, if you say the actual name, it brings to mind all sorts of different specific things about the name you just spoke, right? as opposed to the title soda. Now, what if I said the title president? What would that mean? Or who would I be referring to, rather? Would that mean the president of Russia, the president of Australia, the president of a major corporation, the president of a major nonprofit, the president of the United States? Again, president is a title, and that could bring to mind any number of people, not just one specific. Like the title president is applied to Joe Biden. We could also say President Trump, right? Because they both held that title president. But when we say the name Donald Trump, that brings to mind all sorts of different thoughts and memories and things about that one specific person. So hopefully that gives you some examples of the difference between title and name, because that's going to be very important coming up here in just a little bit. Now let's get into sacred versus holy. <clears throat> Sacred is something defined by Merriam-Webster as dedicated or set apart for the service or worship of a deity, a worthy, I'm sorry, worthy of religious veneration, entitled to reverence and respect. Redictionary defines it as dedicated to or set apart for the worship of a deity, worthy of religious veneration, made or declared holy, worthy of respect or venerable, of or relating to religious objects, rites, or practices. Now, the distinction between sacred and holy is, I would almost say nuanced, actually. But I just want to give you these definitions, try to give you the distinction between them, because they are so closely related. However, if we get into the word holy, holy is defined by Merriam-Webster as something exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness divine, right? Devoted entirely to the deity or the work of the deity, having a divine quality venerated as or as if sacred. Free dictionary defines it as belonging to, derived from, or associated with a divine power, sacred. Regarded with veneration or specified for a religious purpose, a holy book or a holy place, 
living or undertaken with highly moral or spiritual purpose, regarded as deserving special respect or reverence, or informal used as an intensive. Okay. So, the words or terms holy and sacred are so similar that even the dictionaries use them almost interchangeably, even as examples within definitions of the other. When we look in scripture, we find the word for holy specifically, or what's translated as holy, but don't really find the word for sacred. However, the word for holy is Strong's 6944, and that's Kodesh. Which again, means something like a sacred place or thing, sanctity, consecrated, dedicated, hallowed, holiness, holy, saint, sanctuary, apartness. That is definitely descriptive of holy. Sacredness, separateness. Another very, very accurate description of holy. And it can be applied to God, things, places, stuff like that. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain and first saw the burning bush, Yahweh spoke to him and told him to remove his sandals for the ground he was walking on was holy or hallowed ground. Right? The holy can be even applied to places. Now, as far as the difference between sacred and holy, again, like I said, it's very, very nuanced. And here is a very good description between sacred and holy from differencebetween.com. Sacred, holy, divine, hallow are terms that are mostly used in terms of things and concepts that are not ordinary, but connected with God or godly things. However, there are many similarities and overlap between holy and sacred, prompting many to use these words interchangeably. But the words are not synonymous as suggested by most dictionaries. Holiness is a concept. Thus, you consider a saint as holy. However, there are things that are both holy and sacred, such as the Holy Bible. Sacred is a word used to distinguish worldly things and concepts from those that are godly or in some way connected with God. In general, holy is more of an abstract concept, <clears throat> whereas concrete objects are considered sacred. So, again, they're so closely related, so similar, that things and people can often be both holy and sacred. But since we use the word sacred name as the title of this drosh, and you don't really find the word sacred in scripture, you find the word holy, just thought that would be a good point to bring up, especially for other geeks like me. Okay. Hopefully you enjoyed that. You got something out of it. But we've already covered what's a name, what's a title, sacred versus holy. And we can already tell, and we already know, even implicitly, that the name of the creator is both sacred and holy. <coughs> more sacred and more holy than anything or anyone else, right? That's just a given. That's his name. But what is his name? 
I mean, that's kind of describing the entire drosh here, right? I mean, if you look in certain popular translations, are you going to find his name? No. You look in the King James Version, you're not going to find his name. You can find the names of lots of people, the patriarchs. You can find the names of kings, of judges, but you don't find the name of the Almighty Creator. And that's sad. It really is. But why is that? We'll get to more of that in just a moment. Most people, especially if you grew up like I did in the Baptist tradition and mainstream Protestant, Catholic, things like that, if someone asks you what the name of the Almighty Creator is, you would probably say something like God. The name of the Creator is God, right? But is it really? I mean, if you were in a crowd of people and you said, God is great, God is good, are they going to know what you mean? No. If you're in a mixed group, some might hear you as saying Buddha is great. Others might hear you saying as Allah is great. Others might hear you saying as Vishnu or any number of other gods, right? Because God is not a name. God is a title. Okay? I mean, when we're referencing the Almighty, God is a title. So, what is the one true, only existing creator of heaven and earth? What is his name? When we look in scripture, we can find it as being revealed in Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Let's read that. And Moshe said to Elohim, See, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And Elohim said to Moshe, I am that which I am. And he said, Thus shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And Elohim said further to Moshe, Thus you are to say to the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Yitshak, and the Eb Elohim of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my remembrance, <clears throat> remembrance to all generations. So here, right here, in Exodus 3.14, we see the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth revealing his name as Yahweh. Now, keep in mind, this is not the first time we find the name Yahweh in scriptures. Actually, it's much, much, much earlier than Exodus 3.14. We find it all the way back in Genesis 4.26. And here it reads, And to Sheth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh, then it was begun to call on the name of Yahweh. So Adam's third son, or at least third son mentioned in scripture, Sheth, that's when 
they began to call on the name Yahweh, or at least as is recorded in Scripture. And we find his name throughout, all throughout Scripture, or at least up until Hadashah anyways, but that's a subject for another day. But we find it all throughout Scripture. 2 Samuel 6, 2. And Dawid rose up and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Yehuda to bring up from there the Ark of Elohim that is called by the name, the name Yahweh of hosts who dwells between the Cherubim. Again, Proverbs 18.10. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Jeremiah 33.2. Thus said Yahweh who made it, Yahweh who formed it to establish it. Yahweh is his name. Jeremiah 16.21. Therefore see, I am causing them to know. This time I caused them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is Yahweh. Isaiah 42.8. I am Yahweh. That is my name. In my esteem, I do not give to another, nor my praise to idols. So if there's ever any doubt, ever any question, if you ever wonder, you can find it all throughout Scripture where it specifically states, my name is Yahweh. No other name. Regardless what translation you're using, they might have replaced it, but they have absolutely no ability or authority to change his actual name, and that is Yahweh. When you get into the original text, the original Hebrew, it says it right there. My name is Yahweh. <clears throat> And popular translations do replace the name in the text that they come up with. And they even state as much. For instance, the New International, the preface, the preface to that, states, In regard to the divine name Yahweh, commonly referred to as the Tetragrammaton, the translators adopted the device used in most English versions of rendering that name as Lord. In other words, they're saying they replaced the name. The Revised English Bible, the introduction, says, Where the divine name occurs in the Hebrew text, this has been signaled in the Revised English Bible by using capital letters for Lord or God, a widely accepted practice. So the Revised English Bible, the translators there are telling you, yeah, we replaced his name and everyone does it. Okay, that, that doesn't make it right just because everyone's doing it. But even Revised English Bible is telling you they replaced the name. One more time, the RSV preface. While it is almost, if not quite certain, that the name was originally pronounced Yahweh, this pronunciation was not indicated when the Masoretes added vowel signs to the consonantal Hebrew text. And that's true. Before the Masoretes, there were no vowel pointings or 
generally there were no vowel pointings on the Hebrew text. To help kind of preserve Hebrew language and the Hebrew text themselves, the Masoretes came up with the Nakud vowel pointing system. There were others also, but eventually the Masoretes won out in their system. And what the RSV is saying here is absolutely true. The pronunciation for Yahweh was not included when the Masoretes did that. By this point, the Masoretes, as well as many, 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 many other Jews, thought that the name of Yahweh was so sacred, so holy, that you could not pronounce it and you should not pronounce it. We'll be getting into that a little bit later on. So what the Masoretes did is when they came across yod heh vav in the scriptures, they did not put the vowel pointings for Yahweh onto yod heh vav Instead, they preserved their reading tradition, which would involve not saying Yahweh, but instead saying Elohim or Adonai. So when you look at Yahweh in Hebrew text, even nowadays, you'll find the vowel pointings mostly for Adonai and even sometimes Elohim. And these vowel pointings for these two words are placed on top of yod heh vav And this has led to confusion over the years. This is part of the reason why Jehovah's Witnesses think that his name is Jehovah. And it's not. We'll be getting into that in just a little bit too. This has also led to the confusion over the untrue name of Yehovah. Okay, that's not true either, but it's part of the reason why it led to these misunderstandings. Now, when we look at Yahweh or yod heh in the Hebrew scriptures, we find this an amazing number of times, 6,828 times in 5,790 verses just in the Tanakh, right? What Protestants would call the Old Testament. And that's just the ones I found. Maybe I missed some, but almost 7,000 times in almost 6,000 verses, we find the name Yahweh. Think it might be important? Check this out also. Just in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, we find it 1,820 times in 1,555 verses. So do you think knowing his name is important? Do you think his name is important? No other name comes anywhere close to being mentioned and written this many times within Scripture. Only Yahweh. Now, if you're a geek like me, the Strong's for yod heh vav is Strong's H3068. <clears throat> And Strong's defines it as the self-existent or eternal Jehovah. We covered that. We'll go over it more in a minute. The Jewish national name of God. 
the Lord and Brown Driver Briggs divides it. I'm sorry, defines it pretty much the same thing, same way. The existing one, the proper name of the one true God, and unpronounced except with the vowel pointings of H136, which we've already covered a little bit too. But you can see even here, the Strong's makes some of the same. Ah, uh, they make some of the same misunderstandings that we just went over. It's, like I said, a long, deep study. But the only way you get Yehovah is if you go with the modern pronunciation of the Wow or Vav and use the vowel pointings of Adonai. That's how you get Yehovah. Once again, let me mention down below, there is a link to a playlist where it goes in depth over this Yehovah thing and coming up with how Yahweh is actually supposed to be pronounced. It goes over the Vav versus Wild debate, all that good stuff. Very, very deep into Hebrew, to Hebrew grammar, to the ancient manuscripts, into history. If you're a nerd like I am, you'll really enjoy it because I know I did. <clears throat> but it's like 15 videos, and some of these videos are two hours each. So it really gets in-depth, and I would highly invite you to go look into that. And it explains in detail, with proof and evidence, how we got to this misunderstanding of Yehovah. Okay, not faulting Strong's here because back when they, you know, came up with Strong's coordinates and definition and stuff like that, we don't understand, they didn't understand as much as we do now. A lot of stuff hadn't come to light at that point, so I'm not faulting him for it. Just want to bring it to your attention that Yehovah is a nonsense name, it's not the name of the Almighty creator of heaven and earth. <clears throat> so we've already mentioned and shown you how modern popular translations replace the name with things like God and Lord, right? And this brings us to our next section on the difference between translation versus transliteration. <clears throat> So, many people assume transliteration is equivalent to translation. However, there are some significant distinctions. Translation, put in simple terms, gives you the meaning of a word that's written in another language. A transliteration doesn't tell you the meaning of the word, but it gives you an idea of how the word is pronounced in a foreign language. It makes a language a little more accessible to people who are unfamiliar with that tongue, with that language's alphabets. And that comes from foreigntongues.co.uk. Good description of transliteration versus translation. <clears throat> Again, from the Cambridge Dictionary. Translation. The activity or process of changing the words of one language into the words in another language that have the same meaning. Transliteration. The act or process of writing words using a different alphabet. Their text aimed to produce a phonetic transliteration of the dialect 
using the main languages of the day. Transliteration helps people speak a language by showing the pronunciation in the language they understand. Right? Do you understand that? When we go from Hebrew to English, right? We can't, well, we back up real quick. When you go from one language to another, there are certain things that you translate and there are certain things that you transliterate, okay? Names, proper nouns get transliterated so that in the destination language, it is spoken and sounds exactly the same as in the original language. However, with translation, you take the original word in the original language and then you swap it out and use the corresponding word in the destination language. Hopefully that's making sense. If not, let me give you an example. Let's say we're going from French to English. And in French, we have the term pomme de terre. Okay? So in English, we wouldn't say pomme de terre because that means absolutely nothing in English, right? Instead, we would translate that into our word potato. Interestingly enough, pomme de terre, literal translation would be an apple of the earth, but it's a potato, pomme de terre. Now, if you were to transliterate that, you would transliterate so it would sound in English exactly as it does in French, pomme de terre. Another example, if you are watching online instead of the audio podcast, you'll see the Hebrew letters there, Chet, Nun, Wow, Kaf, and Hey. Okay? Most people, it's hard to read. We don't know what it says. So we are going to move it from Hebrew into English. But do we translate it or do we transliterate it? Well, this one we can do both. Okay? And what I mean by that is if we translate it, in this instance, it would be okay because the word is Hanukkah. And Hanukkah means dedication. So depending on the context, you can actually translate that if you're saying you're dedicating something or going to a dedication or whatnot. However, if you're talking about the holiday, that would be a proper noun. So you would transliterate that so that you would say it in English, Hanukkah, or actually Hanukkah, because in English, most people, it's very hard to say the chet, right? Hanukkah. So that's the difference between translation versus transliteration. Let's get a little bit more into this. Transliteration <clears throat> from accredited language services. Transliteration focuses more on pronunciation than meaning, which is especially useful when discussing foreign people, places, and cultures. Therefore, if you do 
If you need to read text in another language and are more interested in pronouncing it than understanding it, you need transliteration. But if you want to know what it means, you need translation services. Okay? Another bit of information between translation and transliteration. And for your benefit, here is another example straight from something you've already seen tonight on the live stream. Okay, this is from our liturgy that we do every single service from the Etz Hayim, right? And here, if you're watching the video, I know it's going to be impossible if you're listening on the audio podcast, but here we have the original Hebrew letters on the first line. On the second line, we have the transliteration. Okay, that tells you how to pronounce the Hebrew letters that are right above it. Not what they mean, but how to pronounce those Hebrew letters. And then on that third line, you get the translation. This is not how the Hebrew letters are pronounced, but what the Hebrew letters mean, what the sentence is meaning. Right? So there is an example of translation and transliteration all in one. So hopefully that makes it clear for you and you understand the difference between translation and transliteration. The biggest thing that I want to get across to you tonight is that you do not translate names and proper nouns. Okay? That is the biggest thing I want to get across to you. And it's not just the name of the Almighty, but it's the name of ordinary, everyday people that you do not translate it, you transliterate it. <clears throat> Which, when you come to think about it, it's, it's actually kind of sad and somewhat infuriating once you understand and know all this. When you look at things like the New International Version, the RSV that we looked at, the King James, they do a fair assessment of transliterating a lot of names in Scripture, like Moses. Okay, in Hebrew it's Moshe, English, King James, Moses. Right? You can see an example of transliteration right there. You also have names like Joshua, right? In Hebrew, it's Yoshua. King James, it's Joshua, etc., etc. David, Solomon, Deborah, Gideon, Ruth, all these different people where they do a fair job at transliteration and they should because they're names. They should transliterate those. But when they get to the name of the Almighty, they don't even make an attempt at transliteration. Instead, they replace the name of the Almighty with words like God and Lord. So 
mind boggling. Like I said, it's makes you a little infuriated to know that it'll do any ordinary human being the right way and transliterate their name. But it, when it comes to the most holy, the most sacred name that has ever existed and will ever exist, Yahweh, they completely replace it and do away with it in these translations. And that's, that's sad, that's infuriating, and it's unacceptable. But speaking of these modern translations and popular translations, this brings us to our next section of common misunderstandings. And this is going to be good. First off, we're going to start off with the common misunderstanding that the name of the Almighty is I Am. Okay, let's look at Exodus 3, 13 through 15 one more time. And Moshe said to Elohim, See, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And Elohim said to Moshe, I am that which I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And Elohim said further to Moshe, Thus you are to say to the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Yitzhak, and the Elohim of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my remembrance to all generations. Now, where this misunderstanding comes from, mostly tradition, but where it comes from is in Exodus 3.13, when Moses asked him, what, you know, what shall I say to them that your name is? And Elohim said, I am that which is I, that which I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, if you're someone who, um, sorry, just give me a second. I uh, just got spammed. Nice. All right, one more. There we go. All right. So, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, if you don't put any kind of thinking into this if you don't consider what's going on here and if you just go by tradition like I used to in the Baptist church then of course saying his name is I am you can see it right here makes sense right but not really I mean think about it the, the phrase I am you wouldn't say that was a name of anyone else if they said it. If you were to ask me, are you a father? I would answer, I am. Okay, does that make it my name? No. If you were to ask me, am I an American? I'm sorry, are you an American? 
I would answer, I am. Does that mean that's my name? No, it doesn't. It's a description. It's descriptive in an answer. It's a statement. It's not a name. I mean, just from the common sense perspective, right? Moses knew this, right? Don't believe me? All right, let's look at this. When he gets done at the mountain and he goes back to Egypt and he goes in front of Pharaoh, what does he say? Does he say that I am has sent me to you? Exodus 5.1 And afterwards, Moshe and Aaron went in and said to Pharaoh, Thus said Yahweh, Elohim of Israel, Let my people go so that they celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. Here, he uses his actual name, Yahweh. Thus said Yahweh, Elohim of Israel. And Pharaoh understood this was his name because he replies to Moses in the very next verse, Exodus 5.2. And Pharaoh said, Who is Yahweh that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, nor am I going to let Israel go. So not one single time did Moses ever say that the Creator's name was I Am. Not one single time is it ever found Moses saying, I Am has sent me to you. I come in the name of I Am. You never find that. You know what else you never find in Scripture? You never find the statement, My name is I Am. You never find the statement, The name of I Am. You never find the statement, I am is his name, right? You always find in scripture, my name is Yahweh. We read those verses earlier, remember? You find the statements, the name of, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you find the statement, my name is Yahweh. You find the statement, the name of Yahweh. You find the statements, Yahweh is his name. Not once, one single time, do you ever find in Scripture the Almighty being referred to by the name of I Am. That is a misunderstanding. I Am is not a name. And what's even worse is that it is a mistranslation of the Hebrew. Yes, you read that right or you heard that right. If you look and read the original Hebrew, it does not say, I am that which I am. Let's look at this a little bit closer. Exodus 3.14 And Elohim said to Moshe, I am that which I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, if you're watching the video, you can see here I've highlighted and put in yellow the phrase, I am the statement I am the description I am okay now when we look into the original Hebrew I've highlighted again for you the word for I am in English is the Hebrew word Ehaye Ehaye that comes from the Strong's word H 1961 Haya. Okay? 
Hayah is the Hebrew word, Hebrew verb of to be. And then you conjugate it, like all languages, in various different ways. As we saw, Echaye is one way to conjugate it. <clears throat> but in Scripture and in Hebrew in general, there is no verb for the present tense of to be. Okay? Which means that when you speak Hebrew, like what's going on here with Moses and Yahweh, there was absolutely no way they could have said the present tense, I am that I am. Because Hebrew does not have a present tense of the verb to be. English we do, so in English we could say I am. But Hebrew doesn't have that. So it is virtually impossible for it to actually be the present tense I am as what was said there on the mountain. Okay? Let's look at this again. Exodus 3.14, I've got highlighted there for you in the Hebrew, Echaye. Like I just said, that comes from the root word, Haya. This is the conjugation of Haya. Okay? Echaye is a conjugation of the word Haya. So, what does this conjugation mean? How is it conjugated? Well, let's look it up. As you can see here on your screen, the conjugation of haya into the word echaye is in the future, I'm sorry, first person future singular tense, not the present tense. So if we were being true to the original scriptures, it would actually read, I will be that which I will be. Meaning that he will be whatever is needed or whatever he wants to be. But as you can also see on your screen here, you have past tense conjugations of Hayab. You have future tense conjugations of Hayyam, but there is no present tense of the verb to be in Hebrew. So it could not, it is impossible to be I am that I am. And it gets exciting when you think that people actually translated it correctly. And there are translations, as you see here on the screen, where people actually did translate it correctly into the future tense. Here you can see the, um, I have to look on one of my other screens. See, Tyndale, all the way back in 1534, translated it into the future tense. I will be what I will be. Coverdale copied Tyndale. Matthew Bible copied Tyndale, which they also translated it into I will be what I will be. Then you got the leaser down in 1853, I will be that I will be. Rotherham, 1872, I will become whatsoever I please. Okay, pretty descriptive. Still in the future tense. 
And then you got the Julia Smith translation, 1876. I shall be that I shall be. You got the concordant literal version from 2014. I shall come to be just as I am coming to be. The New Simplified Bible, I will be who I will be, etc., etc. So there are some translations who are true to the original and put it in the future tense the way it should be. So where does all this I am thing come from? <clears throat> Why are these popular common translations translating this in the present tense when there is no present tense in Hebrew? Well, if you'll see here, there's a line there for the Latin Vulgate. And there in Latin, it says, sum ki sum, right? Okay. In Latin, that is the present tense of the verb to be. Latin has a future tense. Don't know why they didn't use it, but they didn't. And thus starts the tradition of translating Exodus 3.14, I'm sorry, 3.13, as I am that I am. And then when people don't think about the context here, what's going on, don't put any thinking into it and just go by tradition, then they assume that the Almighty Creator is revealing His name as I am. I am is not a name. It is a statement. I will be what I will be is descriptive of His name but it's not his name. His name is Yahweh. And descriptive of his name is that he will be that which he will be. <clears throat> Let's go to the previous slide real quick. Just in case you want to track down that um, website for the Hebrew conjugation, you can go look that up and find it for yourself. That for the Hebrew verb ehaye, there is, I'm sorry, for the Hebrew verb, the root, haya, there is no present tense for the verb to be in Hebrew. You'll be able to see it for yourself as scholars, as Hebrew teachers, etc., etc. There is no present term, oh, present tense for the Hebrew verb to be. So it cannot be. I am that I am. In addition, it's not a name. It's a description of his name. So, been on that long enough, let's move on to the next common misunderstanding. <clears throat> the word God. Now, we touched on this, <clears throat> touched on this earlier of how God is not actually a name. It's a title, right? In the context of talking about the almighty creator of heaven and earth, right? So, I want to remind you, or back up. There is the word God in the original Hebrew. All right, it's the names of people, places, and actually false deities, okay? But I want you to be careful, okay? Because <clears throat> this is a mistake I made when I first started learning Hebrew, started getting into this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
when you start learning Hebrew, you're most likely going to do like I did and start learning modern Hebrew. All right. And there's a difference between biblical Hebrew, how it's pronounced, and modern Hebrew and how it's pronounced. Okay. Here's what I'm talking about. If you'll look here on the screen, you have the letter Aleph, and then you have the vowel pointing down below it, the Nakud down below it, and that is called a Patak, right? Then you also have this other vowel pointing, and down below the Aleph there, and this is called the Kamatz. Now, in modern Hebrew, these are two vowel pointings are pronounced exactly the same with the ah sound, okay? So when you read it in modern Hebrew, both of these say ah. But in biblical Hebrew, there is a slight distinction. With the patak, that has the sound of ah, okay? Ah. With the kamatz, that has the sound of Ah, okay, patak, ah, as in pat, pack, rat, okay, kamat has the sound of ah, as in father, understand, so be careful when you're getting into the scripture and the biblical Hebrew on this, and don't make the same mistake I made, in thinking that the pronunciation God is the name of a false God or false deity. Okay, these are actually two different words. You actually have in Strong's H1408 the word Gad. Okay, then you have Strong's H1409, you have the word God. And these two words are used in scripture in different places for different things. God, the Hebrew word God, is used as the name of one of the 12 sons, as a prophet, as a river, and the Hebrew word Gad is used as the name of a false deity, of a false god. So let's get into this. Genesis 30, 11. And Leah said, Fortune comes, so she called his name God. That's literally how it's pronounced from the biblical Hebrew, and you can see that over on the left-hand side there, you've got the Gemel with the Kamatz and the Dalit. Okay? G-A-D. God. First Samuel 22.5 And the prophet God said to Dawid, Do not remain in the stronghold. Leave and go to the land of Yehuda." So Dawid left and went into the Hereth woods. Here again, you can see the Gemel with the kamatz and the dalit, get a de, God. That's how it's pronounced. Second Samuel twenty four five, and they passed over the Yarden and camped in Eruer, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the wadi of God. Again, in the original Hebrew, gimel, kamatz, dalit, get a de, God. However, in contrast, so far we've covered a, the name of a prophet, the name of one of the 12 sons of Israel, and the name of a place. All of these have been God. But we, now let's look at Isaiah 65, 11. But you are those who forsake Yahweh, 
who forget my set-apart mountain, who prepare a table for Gad, and who fill a drink offering for many. Okay, and here in the original Hebrew, you see the letters Gimel, Patak, Dalit. Okay, G-A-D, Gad. Not God, Gad. So, in the original Hebrew, God is not the name of a false deity. God is the name of one of the 12 sons of Israel, one of the prophets, place, physical location, geographical location. But the name here is Gad for this false deity, not God. Gad. King James translates it as troop. Okay? So here they replace the name of that God with a translation. Interesting. But, you know, if replacing the name of a deity is, you know, disrespectful, it would be okay in this case because it's a false deity. But let's look at Ellicott's commentary for English readers. That prepare a table for that troop, Hebrew for the Gad, probably the planet Jupiter, worshipped as the greater fortune, the giver of good luck. The Septuagint renders for the demon or genius, the name of Baal Gad, indicates the early prevalence of the worship in Syria. Venetian inscriptions have been found with the names Gad Ashtaroth and Gad Moloch. Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary Troop, rather, Gad, the Babylonian god of fortune, the planet Jupiter. Answering to Baal or Bel, the Arabs called it the greater good fortune, and the planet Venus answering to many the lesser good fortune. Cambridge Bible for Schools and Colleges. That Gad and many are proper are divine proper names is universally acknowledged, although neither has quite lost its appellative signification, and both are here pointed with the article. Gad means good fortune. He is personified luck. The rendering troop in the authorized version is a mistake where a troop cometh should be with fortune. As the revised version, I guess it is margin, in Genesis 49.19, where a different etymology is supposed, the word for troop is not Gad, but Gedud. The existence of a Syrian god of this name or the Greek equivalent is well established and his worship is proved to have extended over a very wide area. So again, Isaiah 65, 11, the word is Gad, not God. That's a mistake I made originally. Luckily, continued with education and learning. Now I know the difference and that it's not God here in 65, 11. It's Gad. That's the name of the false deity. But no, saying the word God is not invoking the name of a false deity. It's not at all. In context of the Almighty, God is a title, not a name. Many things can supposedly have the title God, right? So you can think of a plethora of things that were considered to be God or gods. But, there's only one Yahweh. 
And when you say the name Yahweh, you are being specific, you're being unique, you're bringing to mind a certain set of thoughts and remembrances that's not going to be confused with anything else. But if you use a title like God, that can be confused and misunderstood by other people in many, many different ways because it's not specific. A title is not specific. God is a title and God is not specific. A name is specific. And the name of the almighty creator of heaven and earth is Yahweh. Now let's get into a little bit on the pronunciation of the name. First, we're going to start out with the name Jehovah. Okay. This, like I said, comes from a misunderstanding of the Hebrew scriptures and how they were vowel pointed, the history of letters and sounds, etc., etc. Especially with the J. Dictionary.com. Both I and J were used interchangeably by scribes to express the sound of both the vowel and the consonant. It wasn't until 1524 when Gian Giorgio Tresino, an Italian Renaissance grammarian known as the father of the letter J, made a clear distinction between the two sounds. Tresino's contribution is important because once he distinguished the soft J sound, as in jam, probably a lone sound, he was able to identify the Greek Jesus, a translation of the Hebrew Yeshua, as the modern English Jesus. Thus, the current Phoneme for J was born. So the letter J hasn't really even been around all that long in the grand scheme of things. And the pronunciation that we have, J or J, has been around even less than that. Encyclopedia Britannica, J, 10th letter of the alphabet, it was not differentiated from the letter I until comparatively modern times. The original consonantal sound represented by the letter was the semivowel or spirant I, the sound of Y in the word yacht. And you see this even in some languages today, like German. They pronounce their J with a Y sound. Right? Again from Encyclopedia Britannica. A letter of the alphabet which as far as form is concerned is only a modification of the Latin I and dates back with a separate value only to the 15th century. It was first used as a special form of initial I, the ordinary form being kept for use in other positions. As, however, in many cases, initial I had the consonantal value of the English Y and Yugum, the symbol came to be used for the value of Y, a value which it still retains in German. And then we'll go to the Encyclopedia Americana. The 10th letter of the English alphabet was unknown to the ancient Latins and Greeks as an alphabetic character and representative of a vocal sound. Till the 16th century, the Latin and other alphabets of Western Europe had only the letter I to represent both the vowel sound I and the consonant sound now represented by J, at least in fonts of type of that century. Until the end of that century or later, the character I served to represent both the vowel and the consonant, though a distinction was made between them 
in manuscripts of the previous century by continuing the stroke of the I a little below the line when it stood for the consonant. So yeah, there's a lot of historical information there that we just presented to you, and there's more that you can find on your own. But the letter J itself hasn't been around all that long, and the pronunciation J for letter J has been around even less than that. So what does this all mean? Is that thousands of years ago, when the Hebrew Bible or Hebrew texts were first written down, there is absolutely no way whatsoever that the J could have been part of the Almighty's name, the just sound. So it cannot, impossible to be Jehovah. There is no J sound in biblical Hebrew. So it's impossible for the name to be Jehovah. Likewise, this might get some people upset, but likewise, it is also impossible for the name of our Messiah to be Jesus. Okay? Jesus came about from the word Jesus, spelled with a J, but pronounced at that time with a Y sound, like we just covered, right? That itself coming from Jesus in the Greek and Latin. Okay, so it's a translate transliteration from Greek into Old English, I guess you could say. But the Greek itself was a transliteration from the Hebrew, Yeshua. Okay, and there's a lot more to go into that process, but we get the name Jesus nowadays from a transliteration of a transliteration. So most, if not all, English translations nowadays yeah, most, because there are some that did it correctly. But most of these modern translations into the English don't go back to the originals like they should have and transliterate from the Hebrew. Instead, they transliterate from either the Greek or, you know, minor few from Latin, but mostly from the Greek. They need to go back to the originals. Look in the Hebrew text. Yeshua, not Jesus. But like I said, that's a deep subject for another time. It can be a drush all on its own. But how do we know this letter J, this J sound, wasn't in the original Hebrew? How do we know biblical Hebrew didn't have that sound? Check this out. You ever seen this word? Spelled with a J, but it's not pronounced with a J, right? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not hallelujah, it's hallelujah. Starting to get it now? So this is one that still retained its sound, even though nowadays we have the J sound. But it comes from that Hebrew Y sound, Hebrew Yod sound. But there are various ideas nowadays about how 
the name of the Almighty is supposed to be pronounced and spelled. For instance, we have things like Yahuwah. Heard that before. Yahweh. Unfortunately, I've heard that before. Yahweh. Yahweh. Yehovah. Okay, there's various theories about how it's pronounced and how it's spelled. Like I said, if you want to get in depth and really get into the Hebrew and grammar and stuff like that, check out that playlist down below. There are also other videos for your reference down below as well. Definitely invite you to check out each one of those. Each one of those has some very, very good information about the sacred name. Psalm 68.4 Sing to Elohim. Sing praises to his name. Raise up a highway for him who rides through the deserts by his name, Yah, and exult before him. So, why is this important? It doesn't have Yahweh there, right? No, it actually has the shortened poetic form of Yah. And, if you look in the King James Version, it's actually spelled J-A-H, but pronounced Yah. It still retains the original pronunciation, just with the letter J, Yah. So, should we say the name? This is going to be our next point, section to get to. Told you it's going to be long. Should we say the name? Because lots of Jews don't say the name. But why is that? Are they right? Well, the Encyclopedia Britannica states this. After the Babylonian exile, and especially from the 3rd century BCE on, Jews ceased to use the name Yahweh for two reasons. As Judaism became a universal rather than merely a local religion, the more common Hebrew noun Elohim, plural in form but understood in the singular, meaning God, tended to replace Yahweh to demonstrate the universal sovereignty of Israel's God over all others. At the same time, the divine name was increasingly regarded as too sacred to be uttered. It was thus replaced vocally in the synagogue ritual by the Hebrew word Adonai, which was translated as Kyrios in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures. So, here's some evidence stating that this practice of not saying the name started somewhere about the time of the return from the Babylonian exile. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things within Judaism that came from the Babylonian exile. We got into this a little bit back with Yom Teruah, with Judaism calling it Rosh Hashanah, calling it the head of the year when it actually wasn't, right? Nisan is the head of the year, not Rosh Hashanah. But get back to the point that a lot of things kind of came from this whole Babylonian exile here. Then we look at the Mishnah in the Talmud and what it says. Abba Shaul says, also included in the exceptions, referring to the people who have no share in the world to come, is one who pronounces the ineffable name of God as it is written with its letters. Again in the Talmud, the Mishnah teaches, Abba Shaul says, also among those who have no share in the world to come, is one who pronounces the ineffable name of God as it is written with its letters. So, Thankfully, keep this in mind, thankfully, these Jewish rabbis 
do not have the authority to define salvation or determine who gets into the world to come. That is left up to Yeshua. He's going to be our judge and he's going to judge the world. Scripture says otherwise than these Jewish rabbis. That's to pronounce the name. Put it on the people. Thus you shall put my name on the people. All right? Check this out. Numbers 6.27. This is coming right after the Aaronic benediction, okay? And it says, Thus you shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I myself shall bless them. You shall put my name on the children of Israel. How are we going to put his name on the children of Israel, bless them with his name, if we don't say the name? I ask you. And when we do the Aaronic benediction... We say his name because that's part of it, is saying his name. Right? It says right here, Thus you shall put my name on the children of Israel. Again, Exodus 3.15. And Elohim said further to Moshe, Thus you are to say to the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Yitzhak, and the Elohim of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my remembrance to all generations. Okay, if we do away with it, and if we don't say it, how can it be remembrance? We can't, right? It can't be remembrance if it's unknown, if it's not pronounced. Okay? That's just a matter of fact. That's the way things are. And as you noticed, even Judaism, or I'm sorry, even the Jews, didn't have this tradition of not saying the name until after the Babylonian exile. They were saying it before then, had no problem saying it. It was after the Babylonian exile that this whole tradition of not saying the name started coming about. Exodus 27. This is another reason that's sometimes given for not saying the name. Exodus 27. <clears throat> I'm sorry, let me phrase that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You do not bring the name of Yahweh your Elohim to naught, for Yahweh does not leave the one unpunished who brings his name to naught. That is a very good way of translating it here. You might notice it translated like this from the King James. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. A lot of people think this as, you know, saying something with the name of God in it when someone cuts you off in traffic, right? No. The word here means bring it to nothing. And if we don't say his name, we are bringing it to nothing. If we replace it with a title like God, so that people don't even know it, we're bringing his name to nothing. Let's look at this word real quick. H7723, Shev, from the same as H7722, in the sense of desolating, okay? Literally ruin, or morally, figuratively, ugh, figuratively idolatry, uselessness, okay? Vain, vanity, emptiness, vanity, 
falsehood, emptiness, nothingness, emptiness of speech, worthlessness. So Yahweh is saying, do not bring my name to worthlessness. Do not bring my name to nothingness. Do not bring my name to vanity. Do not bring my name to naught. If we don't say it, if we forbid others from saying it, we are breaking Torah and we are bringing it to nothing. We're bringing it to naught. Right? It, this is how it is. The scripture itself indicates here clearly, we saw it in front of our eyes, that we should say the name. So, this has been long enough. Fortunately, we're at the end. So, just in conclusion, let's wrap up here real quick. God is not the name of the creator. God is a title in that context god is also the name of one of the 12 sons of israel one of the prophets and a geographical location but when we're talking about deity god is just a title not a name his name given in scripture his name is given in scripture as yahweh okay you'll find it in scripture as yod heh vav -Hey, but it's commonly and it's commonly pronounced as Yahweh, and that is the vast majority of actual scholarly consensus. Yahweh. The statement, I am, is not a name. It's a phrase, it's a statement, it's a description, but it, it is not a name. Jehovah is an incorrect pronunciation. And scripture places great importance on respecting the sacred name of Yahweh, to use it to place his name on the children of Israel. And that's just the God honest truth. Thank you for joining us tonight. If you lasted this entire time, we really, really do appreciate it. Like I said earlier, if you did not, or if you happen to miss something, of course we have the on-demand video that will be available starting tomorrow morning. So make sure to go and check that out. There will also be the draw slides up there for you as well. So if you happen to miss anything in your notes, you can go ahead and go through slides at your own pace and catch up on what it is that you missed. In just a moment, like always, we'll be doing the Aaronic Benediction with the name like he told us to. So if you have anyone there with you, that you would like to have gathered around next to you when we do that, go ahead and start gathering them together. But in the meantime, make sure to go down below, leave us a comment, tell us what you thought of tonight's drosh and tonight's service, or just say shalom and hi. We always love hearing from you guys. While you're down there, make sure to hit that subscribe button and the like button, and also ring that bell so that you're notified every time we go live or when we upload an on-demand video. And before you leave down there, make sure to hit that share button and share it around with your friends, family, co colleagues, co-workers, whoever. Whoever you think might enjoy this type of content, go ahead and share it around with them. So, with all that being said, let's go ahead and get to our Aaronic Benediction.
May Yahweh bless you and guard you. May Yahweh make his face shed light upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahweh lift up his face unto you and give you peace. Thank you once again for joining us tonight. We hope you have a great, wonderful, and restful Shabbat. We hope you have a week that is filled with good food, good fortune, good spirits, good health, good family, good friends. And until we meet again next week, take care of yourself, take care of each other. Shavua Tov and Shabbat Shalom.